Hello gang, Bill Creasy here with this week's episode of Scripture Uncovered. In my live classes this past week, we began our new spring quarter studying the poetical books of Scripture. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs. On Tuesday, I recorded the first two lessons on Job. Of all the books in the Bible, Job is, I think, the most challenging. For it poses the unanswerable question, why do bad things happen to good people? If God is omniscient and omnipotent, that is, all-knowing and all-powerful, and if God is a just and loving God, how could he allow innocent people to suffer? Any parent who loses a child, any husband or wife who loses a spouse in a senseless, violent traffic accident, any friend who watches a loved one waste away with a horrible disease, must ask, why? And Job does. It's a question that lurks deeply within the darkest shadows of the human condition, a question that gnaws at every human heart. If you're not enrolled in the poetical books, I urge you to sign up today. Now, I know most of you can't attend one of my four live classes in Southern California, but you can sign up from anywhere in the world as a remote student by going to live classes on logosbiblestudy.com. As a remote student, you'll follow along week by week, receiving the 50 to 100 page PowerPoints that I write for each lesson, as well as the audio recordings that I make live in class on Tuesday mornings at St. Irenaeus Catholic Church in Orange County. So, we started the poetical books with Job this week. And then we ran smack dab into Holy Week. So now, we're on a two-week Easter break. At the end of this week's classes, I urged all of my students to put everything aside for the next week and really focus on Holy Week. In the liturgical churches, Holy Week remembers Jesus' last week on this earth. It remembers, through prayer, liturgy, reading, and contemplation, Jesus entering Jerusalem on the week of Passover, A.D. 32, of his being acclaimed in Jerusalem by huge crowds of Passover pilgrims, of his escalating encounters with Jewish leadership, of his celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples, what we call the Last Supper, of his betrayal by Judas Iscariot, of his arrest by the Jewish leadership in the Garden of Gethsemane, of his midnight interrogation at the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, of his trial before the Roman procurator Pontius Pilate, and of his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. Holy Week is the pivotal event in human history. With Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, history and eternity changed forever. So, this week, I'd like to do something special on Scripture Uncovered. 
In a series of podcasts, I'd like to walk with you through Holy Week. Personally, I'm taking the week off, and I'll be spending a couple of hours each day in the Adoration Chapel at our little village church, Mary Star of the Sea, in La Jolla. As usual, I'll be going to daily Mass. I'll be praying the Liturgy of the Hours in the morning and evening. And I'll be attending all of the liturgical events during the Holy Triduum, that is, Holy Thursday evening through Easter Sunday morning. And I'd like to share my thoughts with you during that time. I'm recording this podcast on Saturday morning. Palm Sunday is tomorrow. So let's start there. When word got back to Jesus that Herod Antipas had beheaded John the Baptist at Herod's fortress at Macarius, that's in Jordan of today, Jesus immediately went into the hills to pray. He crossed the Sea of Galilee to the east side, that is, to the Golan Heights of today, and he spent the entire night in prayer. I think Jesus really needed this time. He had grown up with John. John was his cousin. And now, John has been beheaded. I've often wondered when Jesus had a full sense of his identity, of who he was, and what his purpose was. It's always puzzled me. Did he know as a child that he was the Son of God? Did he know as a young man growing up, a teenager, that he would die on the cross? Well, we can only speculate. But I think the murder of John the Baptist was the catalyst that really triggered Jesus into action. Up until that point, Jesus had been teaching and preaching in Galilee. The crowds had gathered. He healed people. He was a very popular person. But now, with the murder of John, everything changes. Jesus came off the Golan Heights. He gathered his disciples, and he took them 53 miles north to Caesarea Philippi. At Caesarea Philippi, the only thing that happened is Peter's confession of faith. And let me read that to you from Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. So Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? That is, who do people say I am? Now they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And the you is grammatically plural. He's speaking to the group. Well, Simon Peter answered on behalf of the group, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Peter, answering for the group, said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
that's who Jesus is. And when Peter said that, Jesus said, you're correct. And then he took his disciples all the way to the Mount of Transfiguration. After a six-day journey, they came to the mountain. Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, went up the mountain with them. The others he left behind. And there on the mountain, an extraordinary thing happened. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because right there on the mountain, he was transfigured. The Greek word is metamorphosized. Not like shiny bright, but like caterpillar to butterfly. There on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John saw Jesus in his full divinity. Peter had said at Caesarea Philippi six days earlier, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And here at the Mount of Transfiguration, we see it. Two other men were with them, Moses and Elijah, and they were talking to Jesus. And when Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here, well, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them all. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So do you see what happened here? Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, and he said, Who do people say I am? You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And six days later, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter's confession of faith was validated by God the Father himself in the presence of two credible witnesses, Moses and Elijah. So if there's any doubt about who Jesus is, there is no longer doubt. He knows who he is. The disciples know who he is, and we know who he is. From the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus heads south directly to Jerusalem and the cross. He sets his face like flint and moves south. And along the way, he tells his disciples three times, we're going to Jerusalem, there I'll be arrested, tried, crucified, and die. And on the third day, I'll be raised from the dead. He tells them three times. He knows what he's going to do. In fact, when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, he will do everything within his power to ensure that happens right on schedule. So they make their journey to Jerusalem. Along the way, Jesus teaches, crowds are following. But when we get to Matthew 21, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus said to his two disciples, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he'll send them right away. So they get to the Mount of Olives, to Jericho. They follow from the Sea of Galilee to Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples would have 
walked parallel to the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, all the way down to the southern tip, and then following the Jordan River south, they would travel down to Beit Shan, and then ford the Jordan River at Beit Shan to the east side, much more abundant water supply there, and an easy walk, and they would follow the Jordan River all the way down to Jericho. And at Jericho, they would ford back over the Jordan River to the west side, and from Jericho, walk up the 17.3-mile Old Roman Road up to Jerusalem. That Roman road, by the way, is still there. We don't travel on it today. Parts of it have fallen away. But when we travel to Israel and we go to Jericho and we drive up on the new road to Jerusalem, we pull off and get a look at that old Roman road. So they went up the road. And about a quarter of a mile from the top of the Mount of Olives on the east side, the downward slope on the east side, is Bethphage and Bethany. Two villages that later, with growing population, merge into one. Bethphage and Bethany. And that's where Jesus tells his disciples to go there and you'll find a colt tied to a post. Now, I wonder who owned that colt. Do we know anyone who lives in Bethphage or Bethany? Oh, we know some people who live in Bethany. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Jesus' friends. Clearly, Jesus has arranged for that colt to be tied to the post, I'll bet, in front of their homes. So that's where they go. They took the colt, and to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their coats, uh, cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the roads. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! Now picture the scene. Many times on our travels to Israel, we've driven into Jerusalem, and the very next morning we start out right at the top of the Mount of Olives. We walk the path called the Palm Sunday Road, the very road that Jesus rode down here, and we follow that road down to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then just across the street is the entrance to the temple area, uh, the temple platform, of Jesus' day, the Eastern Gate. So he's riding down that road on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's exactly the way Solomon entered Jerusalem when David elevated him to the throne. I don't think that's lost on anyone. All the crowds are saying, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There must have been thousands of people on the western hillside of the Mount of Olives lining that road. And they had their cloaks thrown on the road. And they had palm branches in their hands. And they were waving the palm branches. What's that all about? Well, I've noted in class on many occasions, 
What are those palm branches? What do they look like? When you go to church on Palm Sunday, whether Catholic or Protestant, I'll bet you leave church with a palm branch. And what do they look like? Swords. Palm branches are symbolic swords. Passover Pentecost Tabernacles, three pilgrimage festivals. Jerusalem usually has a population of about 100,000 people in Jesus' day. On Passover Pentecost and Tabernacles, the population expands to nearly a million with all the pilgrims coming into town for the pilgrimage festivals. So you've got a million people in town. You have big crowds of people everywhere. And Jesus rides in right down that Mount of Olives and everyone in Jerusalem could see him. On the Mount of Olives, Garden of Gethsemane, right at the center, is only 350 yards from the eastern gate of the temple. You can see Jesus coming. And who's there at the temple? All the pilgrims, of course. And the Jewish leadership has their administrative offices there. They can look out the window and see what's happening on the Mount of Olives. And importantly, the Antonio Fortress, the Roman fortress, is standing at the northeast, northwestern corner of the temple platform. Pontius Pilate and a good portion of the 10th Roman Legion have come up from Caesarea Maritima, and they're now stationed at the Antonia Fortress to keep an eye on things. You get a million people in town, discontent, you got to keep a lid on things, and the troops are there to do that. And they can all see the Mount of Olives from the Antonia Fortress. It's not more than five football fields away. Jesus rides in, thousands of people shaking symbolic swords, proclaiming a new king, the son of David. Blessed is the king who comes. Well, that would be big trouble. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, what does that say? Every single revolutionary movement in Palestine in the first century AD originated in Galilee. Galilee was a hotbed of radical revolutionary thought and action. Who is it? Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Oh, one of those. This is trouble coming to town. And what did Jesus do? When he got to the bottom of the Palm Sunday Road, right near the temple area, did he go to the Jewish leaders and the Sanhedrin and the high priest and, and present himself? No. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, Jesus said, My house will be called a house of prayer. You are making it a den of thieves. Now the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David. Oh, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You have ordained praise. And he left them 
and went out to the city of Bethany, where he spent the night. I'll bet at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He immediately goes to the temple area and he wrecks the place. The money changers, the street on the west side of the temple platform, a street that's been excavated today that we can actually walk on, the very stones on which Jesus walked, that's where the money changers were. And why money changers? Because if you had come from Galilee, what kind of money did you have in your pocket? You had Roman money in your pocket. But you couldn't spend Roman money at the temple. It had Caesar's picture on it, and it would desecrate the temple. So you had to exchange your Roman money for temple shekels. And what happens to the exchange rate when suddenly, overnight, demand multiplies by 10? Well, the exchange rate goes up, of course. The money changers were gouging the people coming to Jerusalem by imposing an exorbitant exchange rate on the money. And then what would you buy with your temple shekels? Well, you would buy your Passover lamb from the vendors. And what happens to the price of Passover lambs when demand goes up 10 times? The price goes up. So a lamb that would normally cost, say, $50 now costs Five hundred. That's what Jesus meant when he said, you are turning my father's house into a den of thieves. He turned over the tables of the money changers, he wrecked the place, and then he left. Well, I don't think that's what anyone expected. So what will happen the next day? If he has the chutzpah to come back, I'll bet you anything the temple guards are ready to arrest him. Jesus goes back up the Mount of Olives to Bethany and he spends the night. And we'll find out what happened in the next segment of Scripture Uncovered for Holy Week. Blessings to all of you. Bye-bye now.